Hi, Tony Silva in uh, Osaka, Japan. And Charles Wiz in Osaka, Japan as well. And this is uh, episode 21, Two Teachers Talking. Uh, Charles and I get together every couple of weeks to talk about teaching, uh, what works, what doesn't, and uh, things that still confuse us, and uh, some things that other people just don't talk about when they talk about teaching. Uh, today, talking about uh, issues in the classroom, um, how to handle content discussion and things like that uh, in class of things that are happening outside the classroom. So when the big outside world comes into the classroom, how do you handle that? Um, a, maybe a little bit different thing to do in Japan than in, maybe in other parts of the world. And we're also talking about what is the role of the teacher, what responsibilities does the teacher have about talking about topics that might not directly relate to what your um, assignment is as a teacher for a given class subject. Yeah, it's kind of that... that uh... That's the big argument that I think people will bring up is if we want to talk about an issue, you want to talk about something with your students that, hey, excuse me, you're teaching an English conversation class or you're teaching a reading class. Well, that's the thing. It's like when you're uh, teaching at at basic levels, this is a pencil, this is a dog kind of thing. Um, Yeah, there's really not any place for for those kinds of things. However, you get into more advanced level, uh, communication is an exchange of ideas and uh, when you bring in the <laughs> ideas, things get interesting. It's a good point. And we should also point out to our listeners that we're basically finished with the semester. And we're going to be kind of meta for the next few episodes because this is the time where, as teachers, Tony, I think you do this and I know I do this, is once my grades have all been finished and my syllabi have all been done, it's kind of self-reflection time on a very deep level as to who I am as a teacher, what I do as a teacher, my roles, my responsibilities, what am I supposed to do as a teacher in the classroom and outside of the classroom. So don't be too surprised, listeners, if we are in that meta realm of dealing with things that are not real concrete and real, but definitely impact the classroom. Yeah, the only chance we really get to step back and take stock. Right, because once the semester starts, it's really hard to slow down and uh, smell the roses. Okay, so, Tony, we're talking about what I think is a very important topic, and I know that one that actually can get heated between teachers. And yeah, I guess so, yeah. Right? That this is sometimes um, even more heated than whether or not um, <laughs> what kind of teaching approach you use to teaching. And that really is the issue of what happens about bringing in an issue, talking to our students about something that's important in the real world. And we're not talking with basic level classes. I think we're talking more where students are at a level where they could say that they like movie A because, and then state some reasons, and the other students would be able to respond and ask questions and there's an ability to state opinions, maybe not perfectly, but at more than a, a minimal basic level. And I think this conversation got started because of the basketball coach slash advisor problem in a, the high school in Osaka, Sakonomiya High School, where a student, a 17-year-old student, committed suicide 
He was a member of the basketball club, which basically means basketball team in Japan. Right. And he had, and this coach was um, slapping this kid and hitting him upside the head. And the kid just couldn't take it anymore and came home and hung himself. And it's come out that the teacher's been, or advisor's been hitting kids regularly, um, consistently for a number of years. It's been known in the school and nothing's happened. And you and I talked about this, and I am just incredibly offended and insulted and outraged and enraged. And I, um, the other day in one of my classes, as again, because as I've said, it, my main job, I do teach in the English education department. I'm teaching future teachers. I brought this topic up, and then I asked, the, we talked about it, and I asked them, how many other classes have you talked about this? And they said, none even though they are in a education faculty. But I think you have a different opinion about this matter. Yeah, example, yeah, my, my, my reaction very, very different. Um, yeah, I'm shocked, shocked to find gambling going on in this casino. As um, you take your winnings. Um, as I take my winnings. And for those um, of you who don't know, Tony's referring to Casablanca. <laughs> and if you don't know what Tony's referring to, immediately rent or watch Casablanca for one of the great treats in your life. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best movies ever. Mm. But um, By the way, going this, uh, off base for a second, sorry to mm. interrupt you, Casablanca is now available on Hulu Plus. And it has been ranked by audience members three and a half stars out of five. So, so much for the herd mentality. That says something about the audience. That tells you everything. <laughs> Shawshank got a five. <clears throat> oh, that's something. I but... think, but, but. To, well, I guess because it's, maybe it's not in color. But to, yeah, I th I'm sure if people took points off because it's not in color or it looks <sighs> old. But anyway, let's return to the subject at hand. Okay. The um, yeah, um, this kind of thing, this uh, violence in um, sports, uh, it's endemic, and it's it's, it's not it's not just Japan. Um, any kind of contact sports, uh, the military, um, all boys schools of which I am a product. Um, this is a um, a, a dirty little uh, unspoken, a well-known unspoken secret, so to speak. Um, for me, this is nothing new. What's different is that this this person got caught. Yeah, yeah, and that doesn't make it right. I've, obviously, I'm not going to defend <laughs> the practice, um, but I, I think it's somewhat hypocritical when people come up with a mock outrage about this. Is like. Come on, you know this is what happened. This is, this is, um, for the way a lot of people think, this is how you coach. This is how you make people tough. Yeah, and I can... And again, playing devil's advocate here. Yes. And I know that one of the things that really surprised me was I was reading uh, a translation of one of the Japanese newspapers where supposedly this coach slash advisor showed up at the funeral and the mother turned to the coach and said, I understand if you hit my kid once or twice. But, you know, you overdid it. Well, obviously. <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but obviously he overdid it. Well, the point was for me, the shock, as I mentioned to my wife, was that how could, you, how could even a parent tolerate a teacher <sighs> hitting their kid? I mean. Ah, ah. And, and, I'll, and I'll, let, me, let me jump yes. in right there. I'll tell you because, you know, having grown up in a different world, and uh, this is something that I t we talk about uh at length with um, some of my old high school friends, because uh, a couple of them are teachers as well. 
Ah, yeah, back in the good old days. Well, if you came home and you told your parents that the teacher hit you, your parents would would hit you because if you weren't doing something wrong, the teacher wouldn't have hit you in the first place. So you shut up. Right. I remember my father at open house once telling one of the teachers, this is back when corporal punishment was accepted. You just hit him whenever you want to. Yeah. That was that was the norm. Right. But I'm kind of we've kind of moved on, you know. I I think we use anesthesia now in in surgery and operations. <laughs> yes, yes. But the issue here there's a we want to really look at is yeah. um, of okay. course naturally is that there's some real cultural issues here. Mm. Um the predominance of violence in any society and the um how do we as individuals deal with it? And what is the role of a teacher in terms yeah, of, raise, of doing what I'm going to call consciousness raising activities, which are very different from politicizing the classroom? And that's a thin yeah. line. And I think we want to look at that. How is that done? Yeah. And specifically in, in, in your situation, in, in the story that you've got, what's, what's fascinating is, uh, and this is, is really kind of gets into uh, the cultural context and things. You're, the class that you're referring to is... Uh, part of an education curriculum. And these are the people that sense making them become teachers. Right. You've got a huge event uh, that opens up all kinds of opportunities for discussion and observation and thought. And as you said, you were the only person, uh, only teacher, only teacher according to uh, the of students. these kids, according to the students that raised the issue in the classroom. Again, um, you were surprised I was not, because um, there's a lot of things in, in Japan in, in the context of the culture that make that kind of thing, I mean, almost an, anticipated. Um, here, the, there's a you know, huge, you know, even, you know, incredibly, you can't imagine, I mean, compared to our culture, uh, stigmas, stigmatization of the whistleblower, or the troublemaker, uh, the person who is the, the nail that sticks up. Um, you're here... The, in almost almost any context, is you just shut up, don't look at it, don't notice it, don't talk about it. It never happened, especially something that's potentially embarrassing. Um, one of the worst things you can do is you know not be able to read the air. Kuki wo yomina. Yes, feel the feel the fuinki, feel the atmosphere. Air, yeah, and you're expected to know that and just to go along, right? And then the other part of it is <clears throat> working hand in hand with that is the uh, the weight of the authority figure the, and the emphasis on hierarchy. Um, this is a, a this is a teacher. This is a senpai. senpai sensei. Um, the automatic given respect, if that's the word that you want to use, it's not really respect, but um, deference uh, to people ranked higher than you is here is so ingrained. Um, that it really uh, takes a lot for a person to get beyond that. Well, it's... So you get this code of silence. Yes, yes. Well, we have that too in the United States. There's not a lot of support for whistleblowers. We know that. It's, it's so much worse here. Though, it's, I of think. course, it's naturally much worse here. But let me toss it out. I'm, I'm not... I wasn't... That's, I think... I was continually... I'm surprised and amazed at what I don't willingly accept after all the years that I'm here. Mm. But I'm also at a place that's reasonably progressive liberal, I think. Right? We're at universities, which tend to be progressive liberal institutions, especially in Japan. I mean, we know that they are in America, 
but I think that they really are an island of liberal thinking and liberal thought. And especially in an education institution, one would think that this would be a great discussion for, for future teachers. Do you have the right to hit a student? What is the role of the teacher? What is the role of reporting? Are the, are the, you know, are laws governing, are there laws that govern the behavior of teachers? And so what I would toss out, um, given all the things that we've said is, and here's my thought experiment, is what would have happened if this had been a foreign teacher who hit the student and the student died or killed themselves? I think we'd have a very, very different situation here. Oh, absolutely. How's that for a hot topic? Absolutely, absolutely. You and I both know that that would have, and, would have been treated completely differently. The police would have been involved, I believe. Well, I'll go a step far, a step farther than that. I'll say that, um, yeah, it's such a different thing that the police would almost be called in for you raising that topic in the classroom. <laughs> well, so far, I, no police have come to my classroom. <laughs> but... Because yeah, that's a kind. Of, and this is a really good example. It's the kind of thing that, for you and I, or you know, people from our culture, um, see this is yeah, this is an incredible uh, opportunity to you know raise consciousness. The expression that you use to bring this out into the level of discourse, talk about it. It's the exact thing that people here avoid with a passion. That's the last thing that they want. I mean, that's why I have kids talk telling me, "I don't want to have opinions." Right. And this let that sink in. Yeah, yeah, and then this is where we're going to get meta again in the following episodes, where we really talk about what are the the built-in constraints, right? What's the yeah, absolutely the inherent fallibilities of the system that just don't allow it to move forward, and whether or not it can move forward. Yeah, and, and how do you figure out where all these invisible walls and and trap doors are? Um, spray paint. <laughs> <laughs> I always think I have the image sometimes that, um, you know, you see it in the spy movies or the movies where or like Ocean's Eleven or whatever, where they're trying to break into something and you have the laser beams that but you can't see them. So you have to, like, have smoke or something to be able to right, make them visible. Right, right. I need a can of that. I need that for, like, you know, cult, like, a no, can of culture do. or something. I don't know. what Culture glasses or something. Something yeah. where that I could see those things. But I want to start off or not start off, but continue to move on a little in terms of. Stating where I come from on this issue, which is that I always have always believed that these issues are important to young people and students. And I've received a lot of positive feedback from students that, as a teacher, I do talk to them about important topics. And I always start off by saying, I'd like to introduce a topic. I'm going to give you some background information of the topic. Remember that any opinions are my opinions, and they're only my opinions. That doesn't mean that they're right. I assume that they're right, but that doesn't mean they're right, and you have the right to disagree. And I'm very, very you know, strong about that. And that gets reiterated every few minutes if I'm talking or while we're talking about a topic. And I think that's important, is to be able to say that this is my opinion, because students need to be... They need to be exposed to the fact that people give opinions. Otherwise, when they go overseas or they interact with people, right? Which would, which would you prefer, coffee or tea? I don't know. <laughs> right? We know this old story. Yeah. So my opinion is that as long as the – okay, no. Because we have the issue that came up a few – was it a couple months ago? It was in the, the monthly Jolt magazine, correct? About the – teacher who wrote about 
the right to evangelize about uh-huh. religion uh-huh. in the classroom. Uh-huh. That was a couple of months ago, right? Yeah, I think it was like November. Yes. Now, you see, for example, for me, I feel like you have no right to bring religious issues into the classroom. But I believe that teachers have a responsibility to bring social issues and to try to raise awareness, environmental awareness, or awareness in terms of human rights into the classroom. But I would say you have no right to bring issues of God into the classroom. So let's go. It's That's a, a fun one, isn't it? It's a real tough one. It's a real tough one. You start talking about values, right? Because um, neither you nor I are very religious, so it's very easy for us to put that in a separate box. But we don't have any hesitation to talk about things that we find ethically or morally repugnant, of course, all based on our value system. So the teacher who wants to espouse or evangelize Christianity would probably argue the same thing. Yeah, she's just teaching them what's right and what's wrong. But the, Obviously. Right, but the uh-huh. thing that you have to deal with is that all teaching is value-laden. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievably really value-laden. And, you're, and, langu- and, 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 okay, then add in the spin of culture and language. But, right, and then um, modern values. And, you know, to what part are we part of the machine? It's Pink Floyd again. Welcome to the machine. We are, uh, the role of education, whether it's in Japan or the United States, plays a very specific role in terms of ideally, quote, preparing young people to actively participate in society. And okay, that well, in yeah, itself which, is which incredibly... Which society? Pardon me? Which society? Yeah, yeah. And we're dealing with issues about that. But that's, if you just look at that statement in a more general way you are part of a value system and you are part of the mechanism that is supposed to insert or cultivate values that are beneficial for society yeah and when when this comes up i always fall back on the um the connection of language and culture and and societies and talk about again exactly the way you described it um education as preparing for people to function in society and and i point out that yeah it's it's very different when you're preparing people to live in japanese society and very different when you're preparing people to live in or function in um english speaking societies and uh, you know, luckily with these classes, the, the students are at a high enough level and competency to pretty much get what I'm, what I'm talking about. And most of them get it. But I always am very, very careful with this, hmm. with, 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 with whatever issues are, are being discussed at the moment. Yeah. If one looks at it, it's kind of a can of worms. There's no question about it. But it's almost a, yeah, every incredible. university I know states that on their page somewhere that they're they're their goal is to develop students who are international or cosmopolitan or able to work in an international environments. And by very nature, your basic mission statement is saying that yes, students must be introduced to these topics because part of you know, functioning in an international environment is understanding when and where and under which situations and conditions giving opinions or withholding opinions is important or correct. But we're then going to, you know, butt up against the issue of cultural relativism. Yep. 
And, you know, there's a real easy, um, you know, way to toss some the monkey wrench into cultural relativism, which is to say, what do you do with a culture or society that ignores basic human rights? Take an example, child slavery. Right? There's no cultural relativistic approach to that. Most people uh, that I know would just go, no, child slavery is wrong. Slavery is wrong, period. Game over. It doesn't matter. You don't respect a culture that has that. Women's rights, right? Okay, so yeah. And, and, yeah so I think cultural relativism... Obvious, but, well, I'm just saying that I yeah. think cultural relativism is only a useful tool when you are dealing on a micro level, I think individual to individual, that requires you to respect somebody's culture and requires you to understand that there are different frameworks. But on a macro level, it it, it can't hold. It just falls apart. So how do we deal with the fact that as teachers, we're at a macro and micro level actually in the classroom? We're dealing with individuals, but at the same time, we're charged with enlarging their minds, enlarging the spheres of knowledge. Or do we have the charge of simply teach the language? We come back to that. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know how you teach the language language without teaching the the culture and to the, a certain extent the society as well. It's um, it's even in Japan. I think specifically, and, and maybe some other Asian countries, um, it's even a little bit more complicated than that. I and mean, get into the, the question of ethics, and not only teacher ethics, but the ethics of the, the value system that you know we're that we as foreign teachers, American, we you and I, American teachers, are just that's our background, that's who we are. And the interesting thing is that, or one of the interesting things, um, we you and I we're uh, think of right and wrong, and we think of principle, an abstract, uh, an ideal form, a platonic schema of, of right and wrong. The Japanese perspective on ethics, I think, and again, this is this is what I've kind of put together, is much more contextual. Um, when the, a student thinks about what's right or wrong the view of society plays a much bigger role in that decision. We, when we try to think about what's right and wrong, we try to cut off and eliminate all those things and, and get down to the pure principle, um, which is why we blunder so often here because we are intentionally blinding ourselves to all the things that a person here would use to determine whether something is right or wrong. The, the, what the people around them do determines what's right and what's wrong. And I have a concrete example. Mm -hmm. We were talking about capital punishment in class. This is a, a topic that you know, it's, it's in the textbook. And more than a few students said, um, I want to, I think I am, or I want to be opposed to capital punishment. However, I'm, Japanese and I'm in Japan and so I support capital punishment. If I lived in a country that did not uh, legalize, did not have legal capital punishment, I would be against capital punishment. Hmm. 
And it's come up, that exact dynamic has come up before where when I'm trying to get a student to explain, give a reasons why some, they thought something was right, why something was wrong. The reason is because it's against the law. That's what makes it wrong. Um, the fact that you're breaking the law makes it wrong. They're, they're, they, the students, and by you know, extension, I think that the Japanese people, will use that context, um, what other people do, what the law is, as a basic ingredient for their decision of whether something is right or wrong. Mm. Uh, whereas we very definitely, very, very consciously and deliberately try to eliminate all those things and extract um, the the purity of some principle to determine what's right and what's wrong. Uh, so not only are the things that we might consider right or wrong different, we go about deciding those things in very, very different ways. And I think the real difficulty, though, is not when the right or wrong are different. I think it's when it's understood that right or wrong are similar, but how they're processed and how they're dealt with. Mm. That's, I think, when the problem really occurs. And I think you're exactly right that we believe that things mean what they say. And a good example of the way that the people approach things differently, even laws, is are speed limits. So, for example, if you live in the Kansai area and if you drive and uh, if you're kind of going out west to Kobe, um, you have Route 43, which is a four-lane <laughs> road on each side with basically, what, about half a kilometer between every light. Would you agree, Tony? About, yeah. Okay. It's a major road with a speed limit of 40 kilometers an hour, which is basically the speed limit for a narrow one, you know, ro a road that can allow basically two cars to pass. And there's, of course, if you go 40 kilometers an hour, you will cause an accident. Everybody's moving at 60 kilometers an hour. So there is the posted speed, and then there is the accepted or understood speed. And... That's very different because we know that there's a similar thing in the United States, right? The speed limit is 65 and there is a grace. What is yeah, it called? you get 75. Right? You would go 75. Yeah. But if the, if the policeman stopped you for going over 65, you wouldn't have an argument. Correct. But if the policeman stopped you in Japan, you would have a good argument to say everybody else was going 60. Right. Have you ever used that? I've done that one time, yes, and I did get away with it. Huh. Right? Of course, you know, there, I have lots of stories. Or not, I do not have a lot of stories <laughs> about being stopped by police. Let's rephrase that one. But I think you've hit a good point. And in the Geography of Thought, which was by Richard Nisbet, did you ever read that book? No. It's a very interesting book. He argues to the point of how culture actually affects thinking processes very deeply. And he gives the great example where if you show a picture of an, a, like a, an aquarium with one goldfish in it, and he showed this to Japanese students, Korean students, American students, I believe, and asked them to describe the picture, he came up with some interesting results, which is if you show an American a picture of a fish in an aquarium, the Americans tend to describe it as, ah, oh, there's a fish in an aquarium, um, or there's a fish. But if you ask the Asian students, they will describe, well, there's water and there are some plants and there's a fish in this. 
And that's the idea that the environment is of primary importance, even on a perceptual level. Mm-hmm. And that that environment and awareness of environment colors everything for someone who would be raised in an environment where what people think, what people feel, maintaining harmony, maintaining peace, not being disruptive, as you would as you put it in the beginning. Respecting right. authority means being highly sensitive to the, the, the immediate cultural and social clues that are being provided to you. Whereas we as Americans, and you coming from Chicago and me originally from New York, even though I know you think that I'm a complete total Californian, is that there are basic concepts that uh, we are able to derive other concepts and codes in which to act. And these codes are very different. One is based on principle of, as you put it, a platonic ideal. I don't know if I'd go that far. I would say that it's based on principles and maxims that we believe are important and that apply universally as much as possible versus a consideration and concern for the surroundings and the other people. Now, given that, if we don't provide our students with the experience of understanding, there's a completely different way of being in the world whereby you do balance some degree what other people think and the immediate social surroundings, but it is important for you to stand on principle. There's no way that students will ever effectively use the language. So, Right, right, exactly. The idea... If I were, if my charge was simply to teach English so that students could read Japanese written English textbooks, I'm in a very different boat. But even if I were assigned to teach a reading class, let's say newspaper reading, I would still have to introduce these concepts. Well, you have of to, principle. have to, and this, and it's this so is the basic. argument. For, it's so basic, right? And this is the argument for the the, the, the native speaker of the language. Um, you need someone of that culture who's, who's able to explain how to navigate through all those ideas and concepts and roots and how ideas are expressed, how they're perceived, how they're exchanged. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because we, you and I both have had the experience of talking to people who ostensibly have this incredible command of the English language, non-native speakers, and yet a conversation with them is almost impossible. Yes, uh, it's all. It, it, it comes across almost as some kind of dissociative mental disorder, where they're not able to follow a, what we consider normal flow of conversation. There's all these inappropriate isms um, that follow, and inappropriate answers to questions, and odd introduction of ideas at inappropriate points. All that just sounds like me in English. All expressed perfectly, <laughs> you know, grammatically correctly, but sounds like you're ah. describing me. <clears throat> ah, you're too hard on yourself. Uh, you're, you're, you're too <laughs> kind. <laughs> but you're right. I mean, there is the the pragmatic aspect to it. But there's and it goes the other way, whereby you know I have to just bite my lip and you know say this is not appropriate for me to give an opinion or this is not an appropriate situation. I'm supposed to just you know, as we say, feel the fuinky, feel the atmosphere. But, again, let's bring it back to, you know, a circular 
or bring it back to the beginning again, what do we do? Yeah, yeah, because we get really easy to start chasing your tail on this one. Well, I'm always chasing my tail on this this issue. But, you know, we go back to um, the the high school basketball coach now. Or, um, for example, for those people who might not be in Japan, recently the Olympic coach, the judo team, Japanese Olympic judo team's coach was found to have used power harassment and to have used physical violence. Was that the term they used? I believe so. Against teams, and he was reprimanded but is being allowed to coach. But then he just quit, didn't he? Yeah, he resigned. Because of uh, public pressure? Mm, probably. Public or within the school system or Were people, enough, okay. enough pressure What's your anyway? read on that? Were people upset that he was just reprimanded? Or do you think something else was going on? And then let's see if we can tie it together. Um, I think to take the, you know, I think very maybe very cynical view, um, he got caught. And the thing for him to do then is to resign. Well, uh, they, why does they, it the high school teacher have to resign? Um, I think people are expecting him to resign. Huh? I think then that's why it's, I think that's why it's an issue. That's become an issue. Because number one, you got caught. Number two, he's he's been given the opportunity to resign and he didn't take it. He didn't do the right thing. He's supposed to resign. The high school teacher? Yeah. Mm, he didn't do the right he, thing. He didn't do the right thing. He didn't exactly. That's his crime. Not 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 not, not the physical abuse. He didn't resign. And right. that's why he's that's an even more serious abuse. That is a more okay. serious offense. So in, is it fair in, for in us to take those points of view and present them to our students? Oh, I think we have to. Um and I think we have to not not in a not in a sermon saying that this is the way it should be, um, but as an explanation, it's like listen, I'm a I'm a foreigner, and this is how I think yes. people in my country would see this, and we would see it this way because, and we see this, we would see this aspect of it this way because, and I explain this is the system that uh, exists there, and that's how people there might perceive this. Exactly. What do you think about that? Yeah. And I think an interesting point here, again, culturally for anyone who's not familiar with Japanese, is in America we're taught, I think and then give your opinion. I believe, give your opinion, in my opinion. But the Japanese structure basically is you say what you want to say and then you add at the very end, I think. Yeah, you give the context first and at the very end you state you, that you is say your opinion. And I think that gives you a choice to, again, read other people's opinions, see what's going on so that you have the chance. You don't, if you see that it's making the other person uncomfortable, you couch your position. You do not say your, express your opinion as strongly as you might want to. Um, unless you get, if you're getting, um, you know, good reception, then it's okay, good. Yeah, I think we should buy it. But uh, if you sense resistance, if you sense discomfort, then maybe you hold back. Um, the, what you don't do is blunder in and said, I hate rap, and they just finished a rap record or something. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think I did that the other day. <laughs> <laughs> We've all done it. <laughs> yeah, but I think I, I was during winter break, and I think I had, I was, I taught my wife the expression to uh, put my, you know, to stick your foot in your mouth. Uh huh. And I went on a five day tear. <laughs> <laughs> and I turned to my wife and I said, this is unbelievable because we were going to different social outings and things. And 
I said, I did this two days in a row. She says, oh, don't worry. I said, no, I think I'm. I, I, it's one of those things in my life where I'm just going to continue doing this. And after five days, my wife said, it was totally unbelievable. You stuck your foot in your mouth at least one time every day for the last five days. She said it was, mm. it was a tour de force of, you know, doing that. But the other thing mm. is to it's question what, what happens in languages when we're communicating where the responsibility for meaning and understandability is either on the speaker or in other kinds of languages where it's on the listener. And in English, we assume that it's the responsibility of the speaker to be clear, Uh. right? I mean, look at Grice's maxims, right? Be clear, be relevant, state only the right amount. In English, we put the, the... the onus of communication, the onus of understanding, is based on the speaker. And I think in Japanese, the onus of responsibility for understanding and it is on the listener. That's a very good observation. I like that. Yeah, because I think I told you the story that when um, my wife and I first got married and we were in the apartment and it's wintertime and, you know, I'm a kind of a penguin and I like cold weather and I'm sitting, you know, in my shirt and my pants and she says, Charles... Are you cold? And I said, oh, thank you. I mean, no, I'm quite comfortable. And you know where this is going, right? <laughs> of course, yeah. of course. I, 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 I got it. Right. So in a culture where nuance... But, but, the, but the audience might not know. So I should, She's freezing. She wants the heat turned right. up. So this went on for, you know, 10 minutes where I said, no, you know, she'd repeat it. And I'd say, no, I mean, I'm quite comfortable. Thank you. But I appreciate your, you know, being concerned about whether I'm warm or cold. And then few minutes go by charles really you're not cold and it's like he's to me i've told you and i just assumed that this was the beginning of a you know marriage that she was very concerned and then about finally you. after about 15 minutes he's me, just look at me she goes turn the heater on <laughs> she was looking at me as if i was some kind of you know like i had a, a you know yeah what are you what are you defective what's wrong with you what kind of guy did i marry my god he can't understand the basic you know the rules of communication and from her perspective it was as clear as glass it's like yeah obvious anybody would understand because the, because she's being so clear. It's like, but yeah, but we, it's like, oh. Right. Oh, man. Been there so many times. Yes. So when the responsibility for understanding is moved from speaker to listener, listener to, listener to speaker, you get into some very, very interesting issues that revolve yeah. around opinions mm-hmm. and the right to give opinions. And it would seem natural that in a culture, language, let's say like English, where responsibility for understanding is on the speaker, naturally clear opinions and clarity of speech is respected and admired. We admire the articulate person. We admire, you know, it's why Bill Clinton's um, Democratic speech at the the Democratic National Convention, whether you're Republican or Democrat, um, I'm not talking about that, was just the quality of the speech. Sure, was admired sure. by so many people. But he didn't leave a lot for interpretation. Every part of that speech was constructed to move you along in support of a certain opinion. It was not meant to slightly nudge you along in a way that you weren't, that wasn't clearly stated. No, you know, there's no room for ambiguity. Okay. In, in so, kind of... Right, and there's lots of room for ambiguity in Japanese. That's in fact that's the that's the point. That's yeah. the whole point is that ambiguity be is ambiguous the key, as possible, yeah. right? There is supposed to be space around the meaning. Yeah, only as specific as you need to be. Be as minimum, right? Exactly, and that's not very, not yes, is very at all. It's the flat learning curve thing for me again. So, in a situation like that, I can justify 
bringing in a hot topic, a controversial topic, and discussing it um, with students who are at a level that they can understand it linguistically. But more importantly, it's usually only done with students who I have some history with. It's not something I would ever do on the first or second day. But if I've had students for 20, you know, it's a year-long class, let's say, or I've had them in a second class and they know me and they, we've developed some trust, then it's, I think, necessary for me to really bring this up because I have to say, if you go to America, for example, you go to an English-speaking country, people will ask you questions about things. And you might be surprised that they expect you to state a clear opinion. So I have no problem justifying it, but I do wonder how they interpret it sometimes, how students do perceive it. It's an interesting topic, but I, w- I wonder how I'd argue with the, um, the person who wrote to the JALT, that's the uh, Japan Association of Language Teachers, a monthly, um, what is it, a magazine? I guess it's like a magazine. What do you call it that? Yeah. Newsletter? It's a publication. It's a publication. Okay. <laughs> if, if that's not ambiguous enough for you and the audience members can interpret that any way they want, um, I, I'm sure that this guy would say the same thing. Yeah. Or this person. I can't remember. If, I think it was a guy. I don't remember. But I remember that I was offended by the article. I think you actually wrote something. Uh, I, I I didn't write something. A, you, a you friend, respond, or a, a friend, a friend colleague, uh, wrote a very eloquent um, rebuttal, a response, and uh, about how they had no place in the classroom, but they wouldn't run it because I, whatever. Okay, but they did. They didn't. They didn't I hope they it. didn't and say I, they wouldn't run it because it was too controversial. Uh, something like wait a second they ran it, a con- wasn't it wasn't that it was controversial it was something about the tone adversarial tone or something like that uh and um i didn't write that he wrote that i i did write in support of him to the to the to job mm. saying that you, you need to have this kind of exchange mm. yes so yeah but th- that's okay there's an excellent point is the belief in we need an exchange Right. We need to be able to exchange opinions, explore opinions. And this is a getting very political, right? This is where we look at the major problem recently, I think, in American society is the refusal to listen to other people's points of view in a respectful manner. Hmm. Yeah, and and again, the other the other spin on this, a, a little bit of a spin. Um, I talk, I talked from in a in a very different context. I talked about the the authority, uh, weight of the the uh, senpai, the sensei. Um, we you need to gauge the power of your words very carefully. It's not uh, it's not a Western classroom where the teacher is more of an equal and ideas uh, can be uh, exchanged and things. You have to also be aware that when the teacher, capital T, speaks, even even as a, as a foreign teacher, um, those words can, not necessarily do, can um, carry a lot of unexpected weight for us, um, especially if you do it in the classroom or in front of other people. Um, 
So yes, absolutely, those things need to be said, but care needs to be taken uh, so that they are not taken in a in a way that we don't intend. Well. Well, you never know how your words are going to be taken. <laughs> uh, that's. I was reading. We know that. I wish true. I had the book. It, it was a great quote. It was um, a really funny novel I read. But at one point, the author was talking about how these thoughts form in his head and move through his mouth. These beautiful butterflies, es- you know, kind of escape from his mouth and kind of are no, sure, floating sure, toward. Sure. Pardon me. Yep. You've read this book? No. It's, it, you're talking about. Um, um, da, 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 da. It's the same as in the movie. Which movie? Um, Shawshank Redemption. The butterflies? Yeah. Butterflies flying out of his mouth. No, that's not Shawshank. Where do butterflies fly out of the guy's mouth in Shawshank? Shawshank Redemption is the prison movie where the guy's on death row. Yeah, he always, after he uh, pulls the um, the illness out of people, he exhales. No, 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 no. That's the um, that's the Green Mile. Ah, green mail. Okay, so no, sorry. But anyway, what? Yeah, what I was going to say is right. So these beautiful butterflies escape from his mouth, and as he watches them float across to his uh, his partner, who he's having a discussion with, they transform themselves into like these tiny little worms and dragons before entering into her her ear or something. That your words can get transformed. They're being interpreted by people, right? We have to be very, very, very careful about that. And you're right. So that now you go back to that whole problem. Then you start being even clearer and more specific, mm. and you start ending up like almost backing into our Western rhetorical style even more because you're trying to again. There's an exact point. That, you know, you are becoming more narrow, and you are limiting the possible range of uh, interpretation of what you're saying. And you know, it's interesting because the better students get that um it's almost as if they watch you struggle through that process and by the end of, again these are these are higher level students by the end of the year you can actually see them doing that when they're discussing things and trying to explain things to you and it's it's very interesting it's almost like a, a distorted mirror you kind of watch them go through the process and it's like yeah 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 you're you're doing that right well that uh, kind of reductive um process to get their idea across it, it's pretty interesting to see well you teach writing correct this this is this is i do teach writing so think about what you do in writing class yeah. what do we try to yeah. do state your opinions clearly be specific be precise and accurate in with your language correct absolutely so absolutely. it's built into the language so <clears throat> It's nice, I think, it's nice for us when we see it happening with students when they're speaking and listening and engaging in dialogue and discourse with other people. But we we value that, or as the, the technical term is, we privilege it quite a bit. This idea that when you communicate, you communicate clearly, you communicate with precision, and that you state in or say or aver in a way that is, without a doubt, understandable for your listener. But I just want to kind of go back when you're talking um, again about the hierarchy here. And that Japanese even includes different levels of language for depending on who you're dealing with. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. That you have to know the, just even the different ways you can say I. 
correct? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the yeah, the whole Kegel thing and the the changing language based on social status and even even small degrees in status can it changes the way they communicate. Not only the words that you use, but when you talk and when you don't, what you say, what you don't, how you say it. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real rat's nest. Right, but we do that frauds. too. Right, that's sure. the mitigated speech. Different rules. Mitigated right. speech. You don't, you know, turn to your boss and say that's the stupidest idea I ever heard. You might. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just did. <laughs> Look, I think you, you, no, you're not going to put that one on me. <laughs> but yeah, I'm just notoriously famous for being stupid with things like that. But in we do use mitigated speech where we hint. Mm, sure, and sure, sure, sure. I know about this. I'm, I'm really fortunate, by the way, talking about uh, us working with students. Um, my Zemi student, who I'll be working with when he work, um, helping him with his graduation thesis next year. Wonderful guy. Um, he's He started wanting to look at intercultural communication, and I suggested that he read Malcolm Gladwell's The, Eth- the Ethnic Theory of Plane Crashes. Have you ever read that, by the way? No. I should send no, that to you. It's no. part of his Outliers book, and it just looks at communication in the cockpit and trying to understand what happened with plane crashes. And he starts looking at ideas that might help understand what goes on, and he uses um, power distance indexes where there's differences. Cultures have different ways of treating people who are in positions of authority, subordinate to superior, the uses of mitigated speech, and it's a fascinating, fascinating look at what's happened in a number of plane crashes. And in Japan, as we've said, there's a lot of mitigated speech, which is based on the relationship, the power relationship between people, social standing, social distance, etc. And we do that in English, but I think to not such a marked amount, at least in America, where we have this view of a much more egalitarian society. Right. And that's an important thing to teach students, to allow students to experience is that, yeah, we do it a little bit, but it's very, very different. And you have to learn how to do that. Otherwise, you cannot engage. And again, we're going back into pragmatics, right? Teaching the practical aspects of the language above and beyond just the linguistic components. And I think it's necessary. I think it's essential. I think it's important to teach our students that teachers do give opinions and that they should be used to the fact when you know, a teacher says, this is my opinion and I want to toss this idea out to you to help you explore. And you in the beginning, that's difficult for them. But after a while, they will get it. They will understand that this is what I call the great, that's one of the best phrases, I think, in English, food for thought. Mm. And for them to think about things. But now we get into the next really thorny problem, which is the idea for them to think independently. And we see that a lot, I think, in the classroom. And again, mm. because of the contrast with certain values, cultural, societal, linguistic values. How right is it to teach a student to think independently when they're living in a society that says, no, one must be considerate of others and balance that with one's individual thought, where we we value the individual? 
It's it's maybe I'm maybe I've just been fortunate in the, stu- <laughs> in the in the students that, that I have, but um, I want to say that that individual thought is might be a little more prevalent than we might think, um, and what's missing is the um, the willingness or the ability of the student to express that. Um, I, I think that there might be there might be. In, in some cases, um, not obviously not all. In a lot of the kids, um, so a little more activity going on below the surface than we might assume. Well, let me rephrase. Um, let me interrupt for just. Yeah, it's really fun because it's really fun when you, you you manage to tap into it, and then it, it comes gushing out. And yeah, you know, sometimes you don't you don't like what comes out. <laughs> well, I have um, an example of that. I think that's actually you mentioned okay, cool. it that it's it's kind of a little scary in a way. Or at least minimally uncomfortable. Before you go into that, Tony, I just want to say I do know that. I know my students do have their own ideas and opinions, mm-hmm. but they're, they're, the expression of those ideas and opinions are governed by a different set of values. Right, That's what right, I meant right. to say. Is, oh, I gotcha. Right? gotcha not gotcha. that they're not there. Just that right. the values they, they, that uh, govern the expression of those absolutely, are absolutely. what you know, sometimes I feel I'm teaching a against the grain, so to speak. But let's go into this. This is um, the story you have to tell, I think, is really fascinating. And it really describes, um, I think, a situation that every teacher has found themselves in. So why don't you kind of give us the background on that? You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's it's, it's, it's a whole a whole other thing. But um it might get a little bit long, but uh, try to make it as brief as possible. The topic being uh, gender issues, and uh, you know, given the times, kids are uh, much more open about things than they were j- than just a few years ago. Um, and yeah, I have had very one very very confused student who, uh, in um, not a paper, but in a, a written component of, of a of a topics discussion, um, was writing things about being you know, just very very confused gender identity disorder uh, combined with pedophilia, and and concluded that he was a really a lesbian pedophile or something to that effect. Um, again, I don't know. Yeah, again, really to kind of decipher because he's not that eloquent and his English is not that good, but um, trying to decipher that and um, figure out what it might really mean, and um, you know, and just and then stepping back, it's like, okay, well, what now that I have this bit of knowledge, what am I supposed to do with this? Yeah. I mean, there's it's a whole can of worms, right? And the United, oh, I think God, in the United yeah. States, you would probably have to report. What do you think? I don't I'm know. Not, I'm not I, familiar. Yeah, I what would happen know. if yeah. a student mentions that they have certain desires, right? Yeah, it's not an action. It's not right? an action it's just exactly. A, it's just, and then here's the, here's a really kind of difficult point: is what are you supposed to do? That you supporting the student and expressing themselves and being honest and telling you about what's going on and that you. You have developed and tried to create this open classroom where students should feel free about talking to you, and then they talk to you about something, and then you go ahead and uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Report them. Yeah, that's an incredible dilemma. So, how are you dealing with it? 
Um, I am taking the Japanese approach. Mm. Have you talked to the kid? Um, uh, I wrote a comment. I wrote a comment on, on his work saying that, wow, it sounds like uh, a lot of pressure to be dealing with all these things by yourself. Have you talked with anybody about these things? Which that even that by itself is kind of different from what we would assume. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, that, that that's just I thought about it. And that was as far as I was willing to go. Hmm. Um, because again, it be, then it be, then, then if I mention it, or, then it becomes I'm the problem. Right. I'm the well, one that's causing the trouble. Can you explain what you mean by that? If you mentioned it to who? We talked about the stigmatization, stigmatization of the whistleblower. Um, the troublemaker, the person who can't read the atmosphere. Um, if I mention this to a superior, then my superior is now obligated to do something. He doesn't want to do anything. Because if he starts doing something, then he becomes the problem. Uh, you don't make waves. Now, this is, of course, different if the student had said he had done something, correct? Very different. Very different. Very different. We have to we have different. to emphasize that, right? That's a- yeah. And I, and my sense, and I talked about the kid being confused. My sense is that this this kid is kind of throwing out ideas and words and might not really understand what he's saying. So. Right. And on top of that, there is a lot of imagery in this country that would be offensive, I think, to Westerners in oh, how yeah. children are treated. But then again, what's the difference between that and a, a little, you know, elementary school girl beauty contest? Yeah. Yeah, it gets weird. It gets weird. So yeah. you have a student, they've communicated to you, you've got an issue now. Is there any way to make it a teachable moment, so to speak? Yeah, well, it's a tough know, one. It's very, very tough. And you get, you get things like that. You get personal disclosures. Right. Um, and then you also get, you know, and when you do, and you encourage, encourage people to, to speak out, you get ideas that uh, might be, you know, we, we find abhorrent and repugnant and ethically indefensible. Um, you know, how do you, <laughs> when it's, you know, someone says it out loud in the class, I mean, how do you deal with something like that, right? Yeah. Well, this goes back to not only our situation in Japan, but I think it also goes back to, let's say, us as as Americans and, you know, having to listen to and politically correct speech and offensive speech. Mm. And one of the things I believe is that most people really misunderstood, misunderstand the f- um, right in America for freedom of speech. I think most people really do interpret you know, that I, we have freedom of speech to mean I have the right to say anything I want. And that's not what it's about. What I think freedom of speech really means is that I have to listen to things I don't want to hear. Mm-hmm. Mm. And it's backwards. Most people think it gives them a right to espouse whatever. No, it means that I have to hear things that are offensive or, you know, just shocking to me. And that that's the responsibility that I have. So I know that I've had students, I've, because I've been lucky, I've taught some very advanced level students, students who accepted very racist positions, right, that were offensive. But I think when you're a teacher, it's very, very, very different. You have different responsibilities when someone 
states an opinion that could even be personally offensive to you, that we have the role of asking them questions, I think. And then again, we get into the Socratic method of if a student does say something offensive and other students could be even surprised to then engage the student with questioning. But of course, it's not a very sincere thing in a certain way, right? This is where the values come in is because I'm attempting to move the student out of their mindset, let's say. So again, we, it's, it's an example of just how value-laden teaching is. Hmm. And, right, that's that, that sigh again, right? Because that's the extremely meta part that I think we get into. Hmm. Or was that just a general sigh? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I should stop talking and not mention anything else. No, no, it's, it's, it's a heavy burden. It is, know? yes. And, and, and it's, uh, it's, when you get into these issues, a lot of times you don't have time to think about it, you know, on at, at, at the moment, on the spot, and things, and you you, you handle it one way, or you handle it well, you handle it poorly. Um, I try when it gets to situations like this, I try more to like lead with questions. Exactly. Um, but you're leading than, with questions. Oh, I'm leading. There's no question. We're There's we're no question. we're trying to get somebody to go somewhere, yeah. right? If because I find you know racist opinions or let's say or attitudes towards gender equality inappropriate so this brings it again back to just the issue of how value-laden value-laden teaching is and how many much values we bring as teachers into the classroom and can you how how much of the suitcase how much of my, my my luggage should i check at the door yeah and there's a certain amount of luggage you're never going to be able to check at the door. And how do you play fair with students and what's fair to them and what's right to them? And my justification boils down to that you will be exposed to this. And therefore, you need to be exposed to this, but in a way that is supportive and non-threatening and allows for people to understand that there is room for disagreement but we do bring a lot of value into the classroom and there's no getting around that. And it comes back to, so what do we do when we, when I, or what do I do when I talked about the Sakonomiya high school basketball advisor, I asked, you know, my students, I said, what's, what's key here? Is it that he hit the student or I said the fact that a 17 year old kid couldn't handle it and didn't know what to do. There was, you know, the kid didn't know where to go, who to turn to. And maybe that means that he needed more support from other teachers so that there was some teacher he could trust. And you look at that and it's a whole can of worms. And this is what I spend my my breaks on once all the syllabus are finished and the grading's done is what's my role as a teacher and how do I want to push it forward? And it's always why I think middle of, from middle of February to the middle of March is always a difficult time. What do you think? Um, it's difficult, but I I kind of enjoy it. Yeah, I think that's what makes the job interesting. Right, it's true. It's a it's this is there are some really challenging moments. Challenge is the word. Challenge is right? the word. And as a teacher, you get challenged ethically and morally, and what's the right thing to do. And um, 
and how, but if nothing else, I think I think you know just in on a positive note, it's like I think it's very valuable that we're giving the kids the chance to do this because as you said, um, you had those kids in edu- in an education class. No other teacher brought it up. Um, had you not brought it up in class, it's something they might not have really thought of. A lot of them might not have thought about consciously. And I think bringing that to them, giving them that opportunity uh, to do that, that responsibility to think about it, um, I can't help but think, help but think that it's a positive thing. Well, I hope it is. I mean, I did. <laughs> I said to them that the coach, when asked why he hit the player, says – I can see improvement in their playing. So I turn to my students and I say, so therefore I should hit you to improve your English? <laughs> they kind of looked at me really shocked. I said, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. But the idea that we are as non, what would I say, non-native Japanese people. We're foreigners. We're, our job is to, to teach the to teach language, but also to be able to teach language means that people have to be exposed to all the uh, many of the underlying values and concepts that define that culture. And yeah, those students I think need to be challenged. They need to think about things. Um, people need to get another opinion. And as long as I think I'm clear in saying that this is my opinion, I am not stating that I am right. This is simply what I think, and disagreement is fair, and disagreement is all right. In fact, I will welcome disagreement. And then to give an opinion and say, please respond. Tell me what you think about this is helpful and beneficial, and um, it's something that I feel has to continue to be done. And part of it, and I will defend myself by saying, I wish... I knew exactly where I, I saw this, and I would need to confirm it, but I believe it's true, that it, Japan is the only developed country where the rate of HIV transmission is increasing amongst 16 to 25-year-old people. Did you know this? No. Yeah, I have to I'm confirm not, this. Not, not completely surprised. Right, and uh, the reason is because it's not talked about. Right. It's not discussed. And when I mention this to students, so you're getting an idea about the different kinds of issues I talk to my students about, they're shocked and they're saying, we're not hearing about this. And so the idea is that I think we do play a very valuable role. And hopefully you're doing this in an environment that is supportive and that people understand that, yes, this is what we want you to do. And that's a lucky situation to be in. But I think we do as part of our, what is it? It's not portfolio. What's it called? What's the word I'm looking for as part of our charge, as, as part, our brief? That's it. As part of our brief is to expose students to the ideas of thinking and how people state opinions. Oh, now, I, now I'm thinking as I say things, whether really I'm right or wrong, and now I have to revise all my thoughts again. So. Well, that's what the vacation's for. Yeah, that's what this podcast is for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If then, and again, yeah, just at another level. Yeah, if anything else, I mean, obviously, we're struggling for answers ourselves. But uh, yeah, I think it's good stuff it's worth thinking about. You have to think about it because you're doing it anyway, whether you want to do it or not. Exactly. It's happening. Um, it, it helps to bring it to a conscious level. 
and to be aware at a certain as much as you can anyway what you are doing and the different effects you can be having just by walking into the classroom you're doing it right there you right? go it's just inherent because of the situation and the conditions uh, okay all right yes that's a good sounds like a good point in which to wrap things up yeah okay so this is Charles Wiz and uh, Tony Silva at two teachers dot com uh, our email address to teachers talking at gmail.com uh, and at Skype as well two teachers talking no spaces and we're uh, at iTunes very interested in your input reactions yes. and so forth so bring it on yes we definitely would like to hear what people think on this one and hope you're enjoying your break yes and hope you're enjoying the show okay man so until next time okay Tony be well <laughs>